The Inside Transportation Podcast is sponsored by Ford Motor Company. Built on the belief that freedom of movement drives human progress from connectivity to autonomy, AI to machine learning, Ford has one simple goal, to improve mobility for its customers. To learn more about Ford's work in mobility, autonomous vehicles, and their corporate efforts to improve mobility for its customers, visit corporate.ford.com. That's corporate.ford.com. The Inside Transportation Podcast is also sponsored by Fenwick & West. Fenwick & West is one of the world's first and leading law firms dedicated to technology and transportation. Learn more about how Fenwick can help companies tackle the complex legal and business issues of autonomous transportation at Fenwick.com. That's F-E-N-W-I-C-K.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inside Transportation Podcast here hosted by Inside.com. My name is Johan Marino. I am the writer of the Inside Transportation newsletter and Inside Electric Vehicles newsletter. And I'm here joined by my boss, Jason Calcanis. Uh, Jason, you there? I'm here. Great to be here. I was waiting for you to put in an, a joke or something. But uh, yes, I'm the boss man. No, I'm a podcaster and uh, the CEO of Inside.com. Great job, by the way. Yeah, how are, you hanging up, how, how are you holding up? Um, I, I'm losing my mind. I'm not really designed for quarantine. I'm not designed to be alone. I'm a very highly social person. So on a personal basis, it's been a little bit of a challenge for me. And thank God for podcasting and like these opportunities to talk to humans. Um, and I'm feeling generally optimistic. I'm, I'm very sad about what happened in New York, obviously. And uh, then inspired by watching all those people delivering food and the janitors and the nurses and doctors and health aides and EMTs putting themselves in the front line. You know, you don't see a burning building, uh, you know, when you see a hospital. So you don't have the same reverence, I think, sometimes for the healthcare workers that you would watching firefighters run into a burning building. But it is arguably more dangerous to run into a hospital filled with coronavirus patients, right? Um, I think the chances would probably be more severe than running into a burning building in, in most circumstances. So it's um, I'm in awe of yeah. them. I'm sad about the number of people dying in New York. I'm inspired to see people complying and staying home and the numbers dropping precipitously in the Bay Area where I'm located. It is phenomenal. How are you doing through all this? You know, I'm hanging in there. I'm just trying to stay really positive and just, you know, thinking that, this is just one moment of our lives, right? A really rough moment. And just think of all the lessons we're going to learn and how we're going to grow, you know, as a society from all of this, right? Because we clearly weren't ready for this. Um, and, you know, it's really impacted everyone's life globally. Yeah. I mean, everybody's been impacted by this, whether you're an American, whether you're in China. Um, we've all been severely impacted by this. You know, we've been restricted to, you know, just our homes and, uh, you know, with the people who might be around us if we're lucky enough to have people around us. Um, but definitely like, you know, our hearts go out to everybody who's been dealing with the crisis and uh, everyone on the front lines, um, not just, you know, medical workers and doctors, which are, you know, immensely just 
appreciated. But everyone on the front lines working at the grocery stores, everyone, um, you know, delivery still, drivers, Uber drivers, delivery Lyft drivers, drivers yes. Amazon drivers, speaking of transportation, you know, that whole logistical uh, infrastructure that's built is really getting stress tested and f- passing with flying colors. And I, I think that's a really interesting topic for us to talk about here. And I think it's your first topic, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's actually the first thing we're going to jump into here is that grocery delivery services are becoming really popular because more Americans are staying at home due to the pandemic. Um, you know, consumers are looking for a way to avoid a visit to the grocery store and have turned to grocery delivery services like Instacart, Amazon Prime Now, and the like. Uh, so my first question to you, Jason, you know, just to kind of start off with a question here, do you think that this pandemic is going to shift how consumers buy their groceries and buy other supplies? And, you know, this kind of goes into the transportation piece because, you know, we we had seen that while these services were kind of bubbling up before the pandemic, they weren't as widely used as they are today. I mean, right now, if you try to get an Instacart order, I think I tried this like a few days ago. I was getting a date like a week and a half (laughs) from like, you know, when I was trying to order it. So my question to you is, do you think that this is going to shift a consumer's habits permanently? 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about it this way, the natural audience who wanted to take an Uber or a Lyft or use Instacart, Postmates, Uber Eats, et cetera, there's a natural audience for that. Generally, people who are tech savvy, generally people in cities, maybe they've got more time than money. Um, And so they value the convenience and they value the time saving and they're willing to pay for that, right? I mean, we're talking about non uh, zero fees for these things. People talk about these companies being unprofitable. Put that aside for a second. That's an important discussion. But you know, it is going to cost you 20, 30 bucks to get your groceries it's really delivered. Expensive. It, it's expensive. I agree with you. It's not cheap. And if you compare the prices, my understanding is some of the prices are pushed up. So it's not just the delivery fees, but you really have to be discerning. In-store might be a different price than when you're out of the store. Delivery food, might they might have one price if you pick it up uh, or order direct. They might have another price on Uber Eats or on Postmates, right? So the same ramen might be $13 or $15. The delivery might be $5, $10, $15. It's all these layers of delivery fees and tips. But when you think about people being forced to use these services or being given a reason to download them, we're going to see post-coronavirus pandemic outbreak and quarantine, those apps will still be on people's phones, right? Just like if when the subway system went down in New York or you have like a mass transit problem, or cabs are unavailable due to the rain, people look for other options, and then they downloaded Lyft and Uber. Yeah, It's the same phenomenon. People need to be resourceful, so they download. Now they got it on their phone. Now they know how to use it. Now they've opened an account. Now they have their email. Now they can have their phone number. They can remarket to them. They can put them in their funnel. So yes, it's going to change things forever. But these services are expensive. And then you have the second order issue, which is how do you get those people to go to work when those are... Entry level jobs typically, uh, they typically pay, you know, the the double the federal minimum wage, maybe triple, so fifteen to twenty five dollars an hour is I think what folks are getting. But maybe they should be getting hazard pay, you know. And I, I tweeted to Jeff Bezos and I actually emailed him personally and said, "Can you put into the Amazon Prime that if a Prime delivery person comes, I can give them a tip, right? Like, can I put a set tip yeah. in?" And Uber did something really cool. The last two or three times I ordered Uber Eats. 
they uh, say, hey, would you like to give the restaurant $5? So on top of wow. giving a tip, they're just saying straight up, if you give the restaurant $5, we'll give them $5 up to like some $10 million or something uh, crazy. And so I've been saying yes on that because I want to see these things survive. And so now we should be, the, the next order effect is, well, if these services were in a dogfight and charging less than it cost them, in other words, they were discounting in order to get growth versus each other in a competition. Well, if growth goes bananas, then they could run out of money and go away. What if they didn't exist? Then what would be happening? If these services didn't exist, you might have lines around the door at Whole Foods and Target and other places that are selling groceries, et cetera, or restaurants. You might have lines that could cause panic and civil unrest. So thank God these things exist. And we need to make sure that those drivers are getting paid and delivery individuals are getting paid hazard pay, in my mind, at least 50% more. I would think 2x would be in order. So I think they should all get double time. And I think that these companies need to quickly stop with the discounting and make themselves sustainable so that we don't lose. It's critical infrastructure now. This is how people are getting their food. So it's critical infrastructure. And I think that's a key issue. Well, one thing I will say that I don't think that Instacart and Amazon are doing a really good job at right now during this pandemic is serving those who truly need the service, right? Because when you think about it, grocery stores have been offering people that are immunocompromised, senior citizens, the ability to shop before everyone else, right? They have like, you know, I think they start the line at like seven and they'll let anyone age 65 and above or who can prove that they have some sort of immunocompromise you know, um, in their system, they can shop before everyone else. I'm not really seeing Instacart or Amazon kind of tell people, hey, you know, we're going to serve those who need this service first and then kind of go down the line from there. And, you know, not just with that, but also, you know, people who might be on SNAP benefits or, you know, just increasing the accessibility of the good of these services, right? And I think that's absolutely something that the delivery services should kind of look at. I think that's, yeah, no brainer. And then executing it is a little bit hard, but not impossible. The other thing I've seen is as the dates get pushed back and more people use these services, um, and, and I think these services would have complete alleviation from this issue if they just offer 2X. If they offer 2X, then you're going to see people come out of the woodwork to take those jobs. If it was 20, instead of being 15 to $20 an hour, if it was 20 to $30 an hour, you'd see a lot more people saying, you know what, I'll deliver. I'll, I'll go out there and put a mask on, et cetera, uh, and do this dangerous work. Or, you know, I, I, who knows exactly how dangerous it is, to be honest. There's some level of danger. We don't actually have full data, so I don't want to be like an alarmist. Right. Uh, but it's a no-brainer. It, it's an absolute no-brainer uh, to get to get these people the hazard pay and to get you know older people first. And what I've seen is um, people are now self-organizing and doing uh, volunteer work. So I've seen a couple of websites come up. We'll put them in the show notes um, and uh, hopefully in the newsletter. But a couple of people had emailed me about like little startups they created where they're just matching people together by neighborhood. So, hey, I'm in this That's neighborhood. Awesome. I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in Bay Ridge. I'm in Park Slope. I will go pick up your groceries for you because if it is 10 days and the person has no food or they run out of coffee or they run out of toilet paper, you know, it's could be a real bummer for people, Right. you know? I mean, and I think that will be the, one of the uh, amazing things that comes out of this. You know, you look for the silver lining uh, in all these things. I think you're a pretty upbeat person. Um, and I think we're probably cut from the same cloth in that way. I think you'll see a lot more community appreciation, a lot more appreciation for the simple things in life. And I think the economy is going to come roaring back. I think we're going to have like the roaring 20s. I think so too. <laughs> um, I just think it's going to be three to six months of just absolute terror, boredom, 
and psychological torture uh, as you know things flip up and down, right? Because we have the second wave of this, and there will be a second wave. Uh, and if a city like New York has to go back on quarantine after coming off of it for sixty days, I can't imagine what that's going to do to people psychologically, um, you know, and and for the long term. Some people will take it in stride, but I think some people are going to lose it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, but one thing I will say is you were kind of mentioning driver pay is autonomous vehicles, right? Neuro is a company, I believe they're based out of the Bay Area, um, but they received permission from the state of California to test their autonomous delivery vehicles on public roads in the wow. state. Um, so they're No driver or driver? No driver. Wow. So these vehicles are pint-sized. They're, you know, really small. You wouldn't be able to fit anyone in there. Are they sidewalks There's... or are they street? No, it's on the street. Wow. It doesn't have a windshield. It doesn't have mirrors. It doesn't have any components you would normally find on a vehicle. And these little cars are self-driving, autonomous. They only deliver groceries. So hmm. it's coming Fantastic. at the right time. And the top speed of these vehicles are only like 25 miles per hour, right? Well, that's so going to be incredibly annoying. <laughs> People are going to be like <laughs> I will running these things off the driving, road. <laughs> I mean, that is the problem with these. We, we saw that when Google was testing for the first couple of years in their own parking lots and stuff like that. Like all these videos of people just cutting off the Google cars that were going at the speed limit because nobody drives the speed limit. And so people were just running these things off the road. And of course, if a car cuts in front of one of these things, they go into panic mode and they take the default service thing. But yeah, this is definitely gonna be a great forcing function. So just like people didn't wanna do telemedicine, like everybody was resistant to talking to your doctor on the phone. Doctors didn't wanna do it. Patients didn't wanna do it. Insurance companies didn't wanna do it. You know what? No choice. Just like people right. don't wanna cut their hair. Guess what? Gotta cut your hair. So, I, you know, I got friends who have stylists who they spend a lot of money on. Like, I know a guy spending $150 on their haircuts. You know how much they're spending on their haircuts now? Zero dollars. They're literally getting Zero. flobies and, and shears. So uh, there's going to be a lot of innovation going on. And why not? Like, why not? let th The roads are literally empty. So the chances of these things causing any kind of an accident are probably close to zero. Uh, certainly, the chances of that thing causing an accident has to be lower than a human driver. Right. right I mean, it's only driving at 25 miles an hour. Yeah, and it's not um, like it's not like it's under the pressure. I mean, this is another thing to bring up here. You put these drivers under pressure to hit a certain number of uh, rides, and we saw that with the Amazon uh, drivers. And uh, I don't know if this criti criticism was actually legitimate, but the idea was, you know, they were under a lot of pressure uh, to hit a certain number of rides, and that they were maybe driving in an unsafe fashion. Uh, and you know, cabs used to do that. They made the same complaints against Lyft and Uber. When you have an incentive system where time is money. And then you add driving to it. Guess what? People are going to drive faster. And uh, right. you know this thing is not allowed to do that. So I think you're right. Less accidents just by that nature. I think that these vehicles are really going to bridge the gap between consumers and autonomous vehicles. Because mm. right now, consumer sentiment of autonomous vehicles is very negative. They don't really see them doing very good. They're kind of risky or they're kind of um, concerned about getting into an actual autonomous vehicle. Um, so I think by rolling out these little autonomous vehicles that deliver groceries. And What's have, the name of this know, company like, again, by the way? Uh, Neuro. So it's N-U-R-O. N-U-R-O. Um, got it. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, like pe people are kind of apprehensive about the idea of self-driving cars. They think, you know, they're going to take away jobs, that they're not safe. I mean, you saw the Uber crash that happened a few years ago. I mean, 
we're still talking about it to this day, right? So and that person was playing Candy so Crush. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? But be- yeah. But because these vehicles are so new, or the concept of self-driving cars are new, I think that this is the perfect way to kind of get them into communities where people see, hey, you know, these cars are actually really awesome. I don't have to go and pick up groceries and they just come to me. And there's not even that contact point of somebody leaving groceries on my doorstep. I just go out and get them and come back into my house. You know what could also happen in these is they could have those, I believe there are these lights that kill bacteria. I wonder if they could be equipped with that on the inside where you put the groceries and it like uses that on it to kill the bacteria on the outside. I don't know if you're doing this, but I've spent like, I don't know, three or four days a week on my front porch in gloves and a mask with, you know, Clorox wipes and sprays and everything, unpacking the cereal, putting the clean inside of the cereal bag inside the doorway, taking the box, folding it and putting it in the recycling so that, you know, God forbid somebody who is packing this on Instacart had coronavirus, it would be on there, right? And Yeah, uh, I'm doing that to some variation, but I still go to the store and at the store that I go to, they actually have wipes. So I just grab a bunch of them. And as I'm collecting items in the store, I just wipe them down as I go. I don't know if it helps, but <laughs> I, <laughs> that's yeah. my strategy. What's it like going to the store? I haven't done it's, it. It's really depressing. I mean, How so? all the aisles are just empty and everyone's wearing masks. And, you know, you don't even think it's real life. It's right? dystopian, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just really scary. Like... I, I don't just not like I don't like going to the store for many reasons right now. Um, but part of it is the experience. It's just too eerie, you know, and it just doesn't make life feel normal. And when we come back from break, we're gonna be talking about the auto market recovery in China. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, I just want to let you know that this episode of Inside Transportation is sponsored by our friends at the Ford Motor Company, built on the belief that freedom of movement drives human progress from connectivity to autonomy, Ford has one simple goal, and that's to improve the mobility of its customers. Ford has been using technology to shape the future of transportation for over 100 years and is dedicated to solving the world's most pressing mobility issues. What you might not know is that Ford has a series of divisions that make these visions a reality. Ford X is Ford's venture incubator that unites entrepreneurs, designers, and engineers to shape the future of transportation. Ford's City Innovations team brings innovative ideas to life through community workshops, crowdsourcing initiatives, and citywide mobility challenges. And SPIN, a property of Ford, brings e-scooter sharing to cities and college campuses. So here's your call to action. To learn more about Ford's work in mobility, autonomous vehicles, and their global efforts to improve mobility for its customers, visit corporate.ford.com. That's corporate.ford.com. Thanks again to Ford for sponsoring independent media like this podcast. All right, Jason. So we're going to talk a little bit about the auto market recovery in China because things have actually been doing pretty well in China in terms of the auto sales recovering. Um, So in case you didn't know, in February, the auto market in China was actually down by 79%. Um, They had sold 1.3 units. Well, so 1.3 million units in February 2019. This year, they sold about 205,000 units total for the month of February. 
it's recovered quite nicely. They actually sold 1 million units in March of this year, um, which is still down about 43% year over year. But really promising news for Tesla. Tesla deliveries hit a new record in China for March. They delivered over 10,000 vehicles. Um, Tesla sales accounted for about 25% of China's electric vehicle sales for the month. So this is really promising news. When you also look at other automakers like Volkswagen, all their dealerships have reopened for business. They're not pushing back any plans to roll out their MEB platform, which is a very exciting initiative for Volkswagen. Um, 32 of their plants have reopened in the country. And you know, even players like Neo that have been doing kind of sluggish on the market reported that their sales in March were actually better this year than they were last year. Um, obviously, right now, the U.S. auto market's hurting a lot. There's 42 states that are under stay-at-home orders, 300 million Americans, and auto sales are going downward. Um, but I definitely think that this is a very exciting sign of things to come for the U.S. market, considering how China has rebounded. Yeah, I mean, it would, it would indicate that during a crisis, people don't buy cars, and then when they come back, they can come back even stronger. Um, is that I, what we're seeing in the numbers or is it still that there's, is there, is there just a general decline in the number of people buying cars right now globally, or is it going up or down? I actually don't know. So there's a global decline, obviously, you know, for reasons you had stated, but one expert that was quoted by the wall street journal said that there was a spike in auto sales after SARS, um, because people had less confidence in the sanitation of public transportation. Ah. So I'm beginning to think that this is actually going to be a trend where people are moving away from public transportation mm. to personal vehicle ownership, right? And we had been seeing, you know, some tides with Uber and Lyft and more people adopting public transit. And, you know, we've been seeing very promising numbers of not just um, people buying cars in China, but people buying electric vehicles, which is very exciting and very Why good, is that you know, happening in China? Because I thought in China they maybe looked at the environment as like a, you know, they, they weren't quite as enlightened as the West or as far along as the West in terms of standards. Am I wrong or am I right? And then what, what does this mean? Are they buying it because there's um, the government's giving incentives or are they buying it in China because they're just fans of technology and really want to have the coolest, latest thing? So the tides have shifted in China. They're actually, you know, from what I've heard experts say, m most residents actually want cleaner air because ah, they've so been it's bottom feeling up. the brunt. Yes, yeah. So um, this is actually a really interesting story that I don't think a lot of people know. But you know that new car smell when you buy a new car? Sure. In China, they hate it. They don't they like a new car smell. smell. Wow, interesting. They hate the new car smell. Where, what smell do they like to have chemical. in the car? Oh, it smells chemically. Yeah, you're right. It does. It smells like the carpet is like a, a new carpet. Yeah. Yeah. So they actually hate the smell of new cars. And so what automakers will do is that they'll go into the vehicle after they produce it and make it smell like oranges or something a little bit more organic. Wow, um, that's hilarious. Which is really interesting. There's so many uh, weird cultural also, differences between countries. 
Right. And that was that, that's probably the most interesting cultural divide I found between Americans and, you know, the Chinese um, residents because they love like I love that smell of the new car. See, I don't know about this you. is interesting. That <laughs> I do love a new car smell. The, the thing that I find very interesting here is you would think in one way you're super a, a superficial gut reaction would be, oh, in China, they don't care about the environment. They're, they, they're just a little bit behind the West. They're still doing coal plants and all this stuff and building coal plants, yada, yada. But then if you think about it in another way, well, they're also suffering. They have some of the worst air pollution and they suffer from that every day, just like India does and, the, and Los Angeles used to before we had the standards go up. So since they are the most impacted by it, that would lead them to take the most action. And that's probably what's causing the bottom up is that you might have this collectiveness where people say, you know what, it's my duty to drive an electric car because I want my kids to have air quality that isn't like in the 100 or 200 or whatever that range is. And if you take out your iPhone and you put in Beijing or you put in uh, New Delhi or whatever, and then you put in the United States, I was doing this during the iPhone app has it, during the fires, and our air quality went to like 200, whatever the reading is. Um, and it was the same as New Delhi and like Shanghai every day. Uh, and that was like a big actual crazy aside with Google making their Dragon search engine. There was a big debate internally. Do we use the state-sponsored Chinese air quality data or do we do this independent one? And they obviously had two very different pictures of the world. But that's fascinating that they want more electric vehicles. And I'm just thinking out the sort of point you're making about people not wanting to be on mass transit, even being in a, a ride-sharing car. If you're in a ride-sharing car, that car might have been used by, I don't know, 10, 20 people that day um, mm -hmm. and have the driver. So let's just say you're exposed to 20 people. Now you get on a BART with 40 people in the car you're in, and that car has been used all day, so there's been 40 different people in it every hour for 10 hours. Now you're exposing yourself to 500 people and whatever they had, as opposed to a fraction of that, like 10% of that maybe, or 5% of that being in a ride sharing. And if you're in your own car, you're exposing yourself to zero. And I drove uh, to our studio today where I'm basically working alone with just one of our engineers, uh, socially distanced, of course. And I have the Model X and I forgot it had the biohazard mode on it. And I put the biohazard mode on. I was like, wow, Elon does it again. <laughs> he predicted it. <laughs> and the biohazard really mode cool has like a bio... <laughs> hazard like logo, you know, whatever that like warning is. And you press it and it puts everything through a HEPA filter. Now, I don't know if that uh, helps versus coronavirus, but I just thought it was like, it is an interesting trend that people might want to distance themselves and a car is the ultimate distancing device. Right. Um, one thing I will say is that I regularly talk to people that are involved in the automotive dealer business, right? They're suffering a lot. And they're always looking for signs of optimism or of hope for their businesses because a lot of these businesses are down, you know, 90%, right? Um, so U.S. auto sales were down 41% year over year for March. And that's like not even counting that a lot of states kind of implemented that stay-at-home order um, in the middle of, this, of the month, right? Um, but... That news from China is really promising because 99% of the dealerships have reopened. Um, and I think it's going to be very, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of optimism, right? Especially a sign of optimism for, you know, electric vehicle advocates. I think, you know, the fact that we've been seeing such clean air in so many of our cities is going to convince people to make the switch from an ICE car to an electric vehicle. That is... Um... Interesting. And I don't know if you've seen some of those um, 
clean air photos, but I saw, and I, who knows if they're true? Like I see them trending on Twitter and sometimes people use old photos uh, to kind of just make a meme. But there was this great one of like Los Angeles, you know, in January versus, you know, uh, April or end of March. And, you know, the smog cloud was lifted. Now that happens day to day in LA anyway, but there's, there was uh people could actually see Everest um, in, I think it's India was looking on it. Um, I'm not sure what the mountain range is called, but there were people tweeting that they could see like Mount Everest and some mountain peaks from their backyards and from their rooftops that previously had never seen it because in India, and I think that's where the um, before and after photos are the craziest. In India, you just, you're seeing like a you know massive decline in those particles, those large particles in the air. I think they, I forgot what they call it, but these large particles um, but I mean, I guess the question is for me, you know, we're, we're heading towards, are we, are we going to have shared cars be the default or is car ownership going to continue, you know, with this next generation and does coronavirus provide enough? And I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Does coronavirus, oh, you know what? It was people in India could see the Himalayas. Yeah. For the first time. Um, and yeah, that looks yeah, did you see the photos? They just dumped it into the yeah. chat room. We'll put it into the show notes. And it's like, oh my Lord, like so beautiful. The world is so stunningly beautiful. And, you know, to to, to have the Himalayas in your backyard and not be able to see them, people are going to have to start thinking about, you know, pollution. And do you, I'm curious your thoughts, you know, since you covered this in your beat. Do you, what does the industry believe is going to happen? Car ownership with this next two generations falls out of favor, like people are predicting, or... Do people at a certain point go, you know what? I like the luxury of having my own car. I like the freedom of having my own car. I don't want to be in other people's cars. I want to have my car. So right now, the auto industry is in a moment of doom and gloom because of the coronavirus. They're not really selling any vehicles. That's their primary objective right now is they want to figure this out first. But overall, I think, and you know, I've spoken to some people who work for automakers they're not concerned about car sharing. They're not concerned about it. They think people still want that experience of owning a vehicle. And it makes a lot of sense, right? Because when you think about a car that you're sharing, or if let's say you're just doing Uber or Lyft, using that permanently as your primary mode of transportation, um, you can't have your stuff in there, right? I think that owning a car is such an experience and it's kind of like this vestige of your own personality, right? You have all your stuff in there. If you're going to the gym, you might have your gym bag. You might have, you know, some food in there if you like to take a lunch break in your car, right? And I've actually seen this report from China a while back that because China's so dense and because people are living in kind of closed quarters, they use um, a car as like a personal uh, space. Yes. Right? Well, so think about car when, seats, like. Uh... Sir Charles made a good point in the chat room. He was like, what about car seats? You know, like car seats get pretty funky. <laughs> they get pretty right. gunky. Uh, you know, I've, 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 I've taken them out and cleaned them. And man, what you find under car seats and in car seats is, <laughs> woo. I mean, I, French I, fries. <laughs> well, I, I refuse to let the kids eat in the car. My wife, she's got a different philosophy about that. She's in survival mode. She's just like, here you go. Anything to get them moving. I'm just like, you can't eat in the car. And my twins do not like that. <laughs> so they don't like driving with daddy, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm a keep the car clean kind of guy. Especially um, if you have a Model X, come on. <laughs> yeah, no, my that why I have a, I drive a Model Three is my daily, and my wife is the Model X, and man, that thing just gets gunky. 
junky. Mm. Uh, but I, it's also got me thinking about on a, and I wonder if this has come up a bunch uh, before we go to our next break. But I wonder um, if people are going to, and maybe this is a good way to throw it in the next break. When we get back, we'll talk. We'll answer this question and uh, move on to our next topic, which is. Um, the the Uber should Uber shut down or not um, in uh, New York City and other cities? Um, do we think? And I, I want to get your answer uh, on the other side. Do you think people, because electric cars uh, need to be charged and have infrastructure, do you think people with the prepper mentality are going to start thinking, I need to have an ice car so that I have some more sustainability and can drive around and I can get out of Dodge? Because I had a friend who said. I have to get out of uh, Los Angeles, but I'm not going to take my Tesla. I need to get a, a gas car so I can be off the grid and, and be safer. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Uh, so let's answer that question when we get back on Inside Transportation. Hey, everybody. Let me take a moment to thank Fenwick & West. They're one of the world's first and leading law firms dedicated to technology and life sciences. They operate in the fast lane of innovation where ideas often outpace changes in the law. That's where you find Fenwick's autonomous transportation and shared mobility practice, steering startups, technology giants, and major automotive companies through rapidly evolving legal, business, and regulatory challenges, which we talk about here on Inside Transportation all the time. A Silicon Valley original, Fenwick is a national law firm with offices in Mountain View, San Francisco, Seattle, New York, Santa Monica, and even Shanghai. So here's your call to action. Learn more about how Fenwick can help companies tackle the complex legal and business issues of autonomous transportation at Fenwick.com. That's F-E-N-W-I-C-K.com. Thanks again to Fenwick for providing great legal services to me. I use them personally uh, for, and for our investments and uh, for supporting independent media like Inside Transportation. Let's get back to this amazing episode. And we're back here on the Inside Transportation podcast. Johan Marino, Jason Calcanis. Uh, we're talking about Uber and the argument of whether Uber should be shut down entirely. Yeah, it's a good so, question. Yeah, so at least one Uber driver in New York City and one Uber driver in London have died from COVID-19. Their families are blaming their deaths for driving on driving for the ride-hailing service. Um, one writer for Vice argued that Uber needs to shut down all non-essential rides and follow what Didi in China is doing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, in case you didn't know, Didi is a the prominent ride-hailing company in China. So they've been through, you know, the COVID, the worst of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, Didi suspended service in all cities that were hard hit by COVID-19, but they did operate a fleet of vehicles that were constantly sanitized for medical workers uh, with drivers wearing protective uniforms, and they offered free rides to all medical workers and you know supporting staff. Um, the other day, I saw a clip on Twitter of Uber CEO Dara Krasrashahi, you know, telling the reporter, "I he wouldn't put his kids in an Uber." Um, Uber is distributing masks and car disinfectants to their drivers, but is it too little too late? Is it time to just kind of shut down everything that Uber's doing if it's not essential travel? Yeah, question well, to you, Jason. I, listen, and I, obviously people know I was an early investor in Uber, still have a lot, large number of shares in it, and I'm holding those for the long term. Um, but, you know, I'm, I don't know Dara. I met him once. Um, I was friends with Travis, the, the previous CEO. So I don't have any inside information here, but just as a consumer and as a person who cares about uh, society, obviously you need to keep them on the road for essential services. So I, I can't imagine anybody doesn't agree 
that you, you got to let the doctor or nurse take an Uber. And th then the second order is, which is safer for people? The subway, a bus, or an Uber? And I didn't actually uh, realize this was the third topic, but I, I did say previously that, you know, the numbers would state that being in a ride-sharing car, you would be exposed to less than if you were in a subway or a bus, right? Like buses have 10, 20, 30 people on them at a time mm -hmm. during this. I don't know if you saw the terrible video of the cops pulling somebody off for not wearing a mask on the bus. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Which I thought was the stupidest thing in the world. Why not? give the cops bags of masks and i'm not even talking or bandanas or anything i'm not talking about n95 masks that's not what we're talking about using we're talking about masks that keep you from sneezing and coughing and sending particles out and keep you from touching your nose and mouth those masks are super cheap and abundant so and so is a bandana instead of having 10 police officers drag an individual which could open up the city to a multi-million dollar lawsuit god forbid somebody gets hurt during one of those drag offs forget about the just cruelty of it and the insanity right. and, and unnecessary of it. It's worse too. Yeah, you could give somebody a 10 cent mask and just say, hey, would you put this mask on or else I'll have to ask you to leave the bus. Now, if the person then doesn't want to leave the bus and put people at risk, then there's an argument that you give them like a second or third warning and then, okay, you know, now you're a bioterrorist if you refuse to get off without a mask on. I get that. So I think, you know, that that would be the harder question, I think, with the the Lyft, the Uber, Juno, whatever. I don't know if Juno's still in service. But, the you know, for the ride sharing, what do you think? Is, is it safer to be on a bus with 30 people? And then that bus has had 30 people on it every hour for the last 10. And I know they're not cleaning the buses every hour. They're cleaning them every shift, right? So, I don't I mean, I think it's, public transportation, th this is the hard part about shutting a city down. Like, the subway's still running in New York, right? And that was my understanding. Yeah. If the subway's still yeah, running, still... any who's taking the subway, and then what are they exposing themselves to? And the BART is still run. Is the BART still running in here, Nick? Do you know in San Francisco? BART still running. BART. I saw buses on the street here are still I think, running. I think the the BART is has pretty much shut down all their lines. There might no be Muni. New, uh, okay. Um, yeah. But yeah. kind of to answer your question, right? You have to think about who's using Uber. And, and who can afford to take an Uber and who can afford to take the subway, right? You, a lot of the people that are probably still taking public mm. transportation are essential service workers, yep. right? Not necessarily just people who are going to hospitals, but people who might be working at grocery stores, people who are still working at to-go restaurants because a lot of restaurants are still open but offering to-go service. Um, so those are the people that can afford to take a train, but they can't take an Uber, um, I think by having Uber still operating as normal, it's kind of encouraging drivers on the road to give rides for Uber when they could be, you know, delivering Instacart orders. That'd be better, be right? Medical Isn't Lyft doing yeah. that? Lyft actually did a deal with Amazon, I think, to make the, to activate them as Amazon drivers. I mean, this is an interesting debate too. What's essential? So if I order, I order tennis balls on Amazon, right? And I was mm. like, ah. I don't need these tennis balls, but I do need to exercise. And I was like, if I, is there a way for me to just say on Amazon, like, if you can get this here, if you're coming anyway? And I ordered the, I ordered them. They took like whatever, seven, eight days. I mean, I think that's the lag here. Um, so that's a good I get, point. Because am I? Am I, I is it unethical <laughs> for me to order something on Amazon that is non-essential? Right? I mean, how far are we taking this? Have I ordered toothpaste or deodorant? Is that essential? No is kind of important 
important to exercise, important to brush teeth, important to use deodorant, but it's not essential. So, I mean, that's, I think, one of the things society is going to have to grapple with is like some self, some self-censorship, some self, some discipline around like, I, okay, I have to take this Uber because I'm going to a hospital. I'm taking this Uber or Lyft. And I would, I would counter, like, I think a lot of times Lyft and Ubers might be the way some people who are even poor or uh, in, in, you know, the lower middle class or upper lower class or whatever uh, are, are getting places because it's five, six, seven bucks. If you go into the supermarket, the delivery services might be charging you 30, 40 bucks extra. It might be easier to go shop on your own. So I think some people might be in, you know, areas in Brooklyn or Queens or whatever where there's less public transportation. They might be taking Ubers or Lyfts, you know? Right. But I, I think, you know, to this point, people really don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> no, food. So they have it, to go get food. Yeah, you have except, to get except, food. That's it. Getting food, right? That's essential. That's but it. I'm saying, you know, in terms of the majority of like what Uber was being used a few months ago or Lyft was being primarily used for, it was for business travel. It was, you know, if you were out really late at night and you needed a ride home, you know, so we, um, I, I think most of their like you, you, you kind of seen the numbers is that their, you know, ridership is down for a reason, right? Yeah. Um, but I still think that it's kind of interesting that these services are still operating, um, and you know, not necessarily saying, "Hey, we're just gonna give rides to medical workers," right? Which I, I, I think that's what they should be doing. I think they should be fully just focused on giving yeah. rides to people who need it most. Yeah, I mean, it's um, all gonna come back anyway. And what people don't understand about these services whether it's Uber, Lyft, or Postmates is, you know, these marketplaces are, you know, meant to be what, uh, you know, people might refer to as um, uh, elastic marketplaces where you're not inventorying a lot of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So they can contract and not die, right? So if and same with eBay, right? Like if e eBay's got a fixed cost to run eBay, if you think about that as a marketplace and they're matching buyers and sellers, if uh, a million items get sold today or a hundred thousand, it's the same cost, right? It's the same infrastructure, same server, same number of people who work at the company. It's the same is true for Uber. You know, if there's a million rides today or a hundred thousand or ten million, it's kind of the same for their fixed cost. So as long as they're not exceeding that, if they're not burning a ton of capital, they will survive this. And that's what I think about too is, man, if this thing were to go on for two years, what would these businesses look like, right? Or 18 months? Because you had these doomsayers saying, this is going to be two years. It's going to be, what you know, 18 months, uh, 12 months. And if that happened, thankfully, Uber has Uber Eats. I don't know what Lyft does. I guess they did that deal with Amazon. So find other business models. Uh, and I got an insight that not an inside statistic. I saw somebody speculating who had inside information from one of these third-party tools saying, um, and I, I don't know if it's true or not, but they seemed like they had credible data from the last couple of weeks. They said Uber Eats is now exceeding Uber rides. And that makes sense to me, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so kind of going on to the next topic here, Tesla. I'm sure you have a lot to say about Tesla. Sure. As a Tesla owner. I'm oh, sure yeah. you love your Super car. Super fan. Um, and so Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla said that the company's robo taxi service is still on target for this year. Um, he said that the, to clear things up, he said the functionality of the robo taxi service is still looking good for this year, which is based on the fully self-driving, um, automated driving suite that's available in the car, but regulatory approval is the big unknown. 
Um, so he's been saying this for a while that 2020 would be the year for Tesla to launch its robo taxi service, which would compete with Uber and Lyft. Um, but it's kind of interesting because I asked our readers about this, you know, service and whether they thought it was going to come this year. Um, this is what one reader said: Maybe robo taxis can be viable if launched for some very controlled routes. My experience with the Model 3 autopilot has been consistently bad and getting worse. My heart is stopped by false positive collision warnings almost daily, but I still love my Tesla. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, what, do you think we'll see these by the end of the year? Do you think we'll see the Tesla robo-taxi? Not service? in America, no way. Um, I mean, if the other services like Waymo and other folks are not you know, having these things without a driver in them, I don't think so. I think it could happen with drivers in them. So... If Tesla were, I mean, launching the, you know, the equivalent of Lyft or Uber's app to match riders with drivers, not that hard. I mean, it's not easy, but it's not that hard. Let's be honest. It's an app. It's probably not mm -hmm. as complex as building the Gigafactory. So, you know, Elon can build a competitor to Uber or Lyft. That's for sure. Um, the question is going to be, does it have a driver or not in it, right? And so Uber and Lyft and other folks, um, you know, the Volvo minivans that... Um, Waymo, Alphabet, Google's arm uh, in Arizona, I believe, is where they're operating. You know, they can they can run with a safety driver on a set route very easily if there's a grid and not a lot of pedestrians. Anytime you put them in a city with randomness, um, you know, much harder. And I drive every day and I use self-driving every day. And I kind of had a slightly different experience than the other person. I don't have like heart-stopping moments. I do know that it works perfectly on the 280. It works largely perfectly on the 180 right now. And I've been using it for three or four years. So, you know, from the Model X to the Model 3, and I just had my Model 3 computer updated because I had a really early Model 3. And I think it can do 80% right now um, of, I think it's like 80, 90% of highway driving is pretty much solved. The places it's not is when there's something on the highway or there are, like weird exits in construction and those kind of things, I think it gets a little um, choppy and those things are mm -hmm. yet to be solved. I think those last, I would say the last 20% is probably two or three years out on highways. So I think on highways, I could see it being a no-brainer. You still need to have a driver ready to take over, but I think the driver could, uh, as an example, be doing their email on a highway. I actually think there are probably two or three years from a, a driver being able to not look at the road and just be ready to take over and it being as safe as a regular car. And that's really what this is about is it's got to be a magnitude safer than a real driver in order for uh, different jurisdictions to take the risk of putting them on the road because people react differently when a self-driving car kills somebody than when we kill each other in our cars. In cities, and it's challenging, and that's where these Uber rides are taking, Lyft rides are taking place. So I think city driving approved in the United States in San Francisco, New York, and L.A., is uh, 10 years or more. And when I talk to even the most bullish people, they say five years or more. So I think full self-driving with the driver be. I think people don't understand what Elon is saying when he says full self-driving will be done. Full self-driving means a car can drive itself from point A to point B with the driver being ready to take over, with mm -hmm. a steering wheel, with a driver in the seat ready to take over. So for the robo-taxis to compete with Uber and Lyft, and have an advantage, you would need to have no driver, right? You have to eliminate that cost. And I think everybody's going to get there at the same time, I'll be honest. I don't, I think, you know, there's also, it's also known that Tesla made the big bet on computer visualization over LIDAR and computer visualization. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, people thought Elon was wrong about that. And it turns out he's pretty close to being right because um, I think he'll be proven right. Uh, it sees, the, with the new computer that I got upgraded, it sees cones, it sees garbage cans, it knows motorcycles. It's really getting sophisticated. So I don't think we'll you'll be ordering a robo-taxi without a driver. You could be ordering a robo-taxi with a driver in it that I could see happening. And then the question is, can they compete with Uber's massive installed base, massive brand, you know, et cetera? Well, to kind of elaborate on the service, and I think I want to ask you this question because you own multiple Teslas, right? And I'm sure you're not driving your car all day. And we had kind of mentioned this in episode zero, but the uh, Tesla robo-taxi service would actually use the fleet of owner vehicles if you want to make extra money when the vehicle is not being yeah. used. And the concept is that the car would be able to leave your driveway by itself and just go around and drive and pick people up. And then it would come back into your driveway at the end of the night when you need the car. Would you lend your vehicle to be a part of this service? Um, the 25 to 32-year-old Jason totally would have. And now I wouldn't bother. I don't want people in my car. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because I feel like there's going to be a large segment of the market that isn't going to want to share that car, right? Especially if they have a Tesla and they spent, you know, more than $40,000 on their car. Yeah. It's not about so, the existing people. It's about the people who are on the bubble. So let's say you were going to buy a used Prius for 20K and you had the Model 3 uh, used for 30 uh, and new for 50 and you said you know what i can make i don't know 500 dollars a month with people renting it out and my payment's going to be with my and my total carrying cost could be 800 with my insurance and my whatever and cleaning it okay yeah maybe i can afford that and so people get a model 3 or a model y instead of buying a new prius and they get to have a better car just by putting it to the pool so i think they get those you know yeah, and it's kind of interesting because I don't know if you've actually seen your Model 3, but there's a little interior camera. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, I know all about it. Yeah, and I actually, yeah. um, I, somebody said something on Twitter about it, and I, and I uh, at mentioned Elon, and he responded about it. And within a week or two, as he's apt to do, <laughs> um, they put in a button that said turn off internal camera. But the internal camera is obviously for security if somebody breaks into your car with sentry mode and it's obviously going to be for dog mode to look in your car and it's obviously uh, going to be for the robo taxi, all of those. And he actually put into his account that he, um, yeah, how did you have the ability to turn it off now? There's a switch. Yeah, really interesting. And this actually happened a few days ago. A Tesla hacker was actually able to get a photo from that internal camera. Oh, a hacker did? Um, so we're going to drop that. Yeah. So he hacked into the, the system and was able to get a picture from wow. that little internal camera. So we're going to drop that link in the show yeah. notes. I have the really Owl, by the way. I have the Owl camera. Shout out Owl. Uh, in my, I have a Honda minivan. Uh, that's my like escape. <laughs> if, if, we, if we have to like, you know, escape uh, Los Angeles, escape San Francisco, like escape New York, like things really go downhill. The plan is to take two take an electric car one electric car one gas car and then we go to wherever montana wyoming somewhere out in the where the zombie apocalypse can't be and get us and uh we see which one gets us further right uh, but i have yeah, the owl I, camera I, I don't know if you're aware of the owl camera but it is amazing it's basically 
like the Sentry cat, like the like the Sentry mode in a Tesla, and you just put it in the dashboard. You pay for an EV, EV uh, an e, uh, LTE every month. And I can, if like, let's say the nannies are taking the girls to school or something, I can turn the camera on and see inside the car and see outside the car. And it creates a video clip of both, like a split screen. And so, you know, when I have the nanny, if I have a nanny or a babysitter, I say, hey, listen, here's the owl camera. It records everything in case there's an accident. And here are the rules in terms of safe driving in our family. Number one, you know, if there's any problem with the kids, pull over. You know, we don't go over the speed limit, da, 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 da. Um, and if I need to know where you are, it will tell me the location and I can uh, turn it on. And when it turns on, the screen light goes on and I can talk to you through it if I can't get you on wow. the phone. Uh, <laughs> I think I can talk to them on it. So I just explained to them kind of the you know the rule set because I don't want people to think I'm spying on them. Um, but it does have that potentiality. And uh, there's a very simple solution. You can just put a piece of uh, gaffer tape, electrical tape that uh, doesn't you know stick too hard that uh, people use in um, electrical work or in AV work on set. Right. Gaffer I, I was going to follow up on one of your questions and I'm going to ask it back to you. And you kind of said the answer, I guess. But um, in terms of an ICE vehicle versus an electric vehicle, if you had to escape somewhere, would you take your Tesla or would you take that minivan? Um, it, it's a great question. I think I would do both, right? Like I said, and then you know, daisy chain it where one goes ahead of the other, which is already what we do. When we go on vacation, a lot of times we'll go down to, to Southern California and I'll drive the Model 3 uh, and my wife will drive the minivan because flying and driving to LA is really about the same thing if you're checking bags. Um, and I love a good road trip with the kids uh, in an audio book. You know, I'll put on The Hobbit or something. And um, really easy, really easy to... What I'll do is I'll leave before my wife, get to the f first uh, charging station. I like to go to Harris Ranch and get the um, the ribeye steak there. And I got a nice big ribeye and split it between my three daughters and everybody loves it. Um, oh, and get ice cream and I whatever. I miss eating out, by the way. What's that? <laughs> I miss eating out. <laughs> yeah, I miss that. Me too. I, I love restaurants. Anyway, back in, we had these things pre- quarantine back in my day back in my day we could go to restaurants and they would they would cook for you different cuisines too it wasn't just canned food and, and dry stuff <laughs> um it was fresh and um i'll just leave an hour before i get to the first place i start charging you know then she catches up we have dinner to get lunch together boom i'll take off and we just do this like quick daisy chaining as we're going um and it works out great kids jump from one car to the other so I, I am, but it depends on which Tesla way, right by the now. way, it would depend on which way I was going. If I, if you were going to go on the corridors where like a lot of the corridors have a lot of charging stations. So if it was a grid problem, obviously you're taking the gas one, like if a uh, hackers killed the electrical grid. Um, mm -hmm. but if I was going to like, you know, Montana, Wyoming and that kind of route, um, I think a lot of people are going to start to have solar and stuff like that. And uh, I'm putting a diesel. I have a generator at my house, but not like a house generator, like an external one. And I could actually plug it into my Tesla. Uh, so it would be really slow. It would be like a 110 charge. So I'd be adding like four miles an hour to the Model 3. But if we were in like a crisis situation, I could turn gas into power. Not a problem, right? So I would take yeah. the gas. The best move would be to take our gas generator with us in the Model 3. That's what I would do. Yeah. I'm going to, like, I don't have a Tesla, but if I had one, I would take the Tesla. Supercharging network is awesome. I took a road trip uh, once from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. It worked flawlessly. It was amazing. Hmm. The supercharging 
charged up the vehicle from like zero to 80%. And it's bonkers. It like oh, did you, you hit the 200, minutes. was it 250 volt is the one that is the big one now? It used to be 120. Anyway, when you're driving yeah. on the supercharger, you can see when you look at your map, what the highest rating is. And I think the the regular supercharger are 150 and they have these big ones that are 250. And then because the Model 3 is so lightweight compared to a Model X, let's say, it charges more per hour, right? Because it gets right. better mileage. So yeah, you get this ridiculous three, 400 miles being added an hour until you yeah, hit 80%, you then it the, drops off. Yeah. Yeah, and you can use the V3 supercharger. The V3, so yeah. That's, that's the, the one that's yeah. 250 amp or something. It's just four or 500 miles per hour. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, no, but man, I, I think really the, the big thing, the big advantage for Tesla right now, and I'm just saying it now, is the charging network. It's going to take five to 10 years for any other automaker or technology company to even come close yeah. to doing what Tesla has done. Yeah. I mean, the charging network by itself is just really impressive. I think it'd be really um, cool. I have a, I, you know, when you buy a Tesla, they give you an adapter to use the J2s or the other ones, I guess. It'd be really yeah. cool down the road if there was an adapter for those cars to use a supercharging network if it turns out the supercharging network is just so far ahead, you know? Um, not that yeah, you, Tesla doesn't, Tesla over the holidays um, had uh, lines up and down on Thanksgiving. And the, 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 from what I understand, the superchargers are usually at like five to 15% utilization. And then during the yeah. holidays, they're at 120. And so you might have three or four cars online. Usually it's a 10 minute wait, so it's not a big deal. Uh, but on Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, I was driving down to LA in that corridor and I came back the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And uh, we had to wait one time for five minutes. So it wasn't that bad. But other yeah. people were posting longer wait times, like half an hour wait times at the peak. That's kind yeah. of a bummer, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, hey, I think that does it for oh, we our done? first official oh. episode. Oh, I love it. Wow, it's going really well. Transportation. Yeah. Love it. So make sure to subscribe on all your favorite podcast players. We're on Spotify, TuneIn, uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on all those uh, streaming channels. And you can go subscribe to the newsletter at inside.com slash transportation. Or if you want to learn more about electric vehicles, it's inside.com slash EVS, which is inside.com slash EVs. Any closing words, Jason? No, uh, great job, by the way. Um, great stories and great job on the newsletters. And uh, thanks to our partners. Thanks for, for doing all that you do, Jason. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, talk soon.